Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash blackcase and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash blackcase. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Black Case Diaries podcast. B C D B C D. <laughs> I'm Robin. I am here with Adam and Marcy. Hey, Yay. hey! I'm trying to, I'm trying to get, come up with different ones every time. Got it. Got it. Yeah. All right. Some of them aren't going to be winners. We. <laughs> I liked it. It was like a was gradual good. build up. Yeah, Maybe I next liked time it. I'll jo- join you, and then it'll like be kind of like a slow clap. Okay. Yeah. Like a B C D. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, so last week we talked about Doctor Who. Do you guys remember that? You guys remember talking about Doctor uh, Who? Vaguely. A little. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> As you guys know, listening, that Doctor Who is a long-running sci-fi television show on the BBC. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we left it at a cliffhanger. We stopped. We, we talked about the original series. We talked about the making of the series. And we also discussed the individual doctors in the old series you know, it was a lot of information, but we, I think we, we, we talked about each yeah, one. We and, did it. Yeah. And we stopped at, who was it, Marcy? Was it Paul uh, McGann? Paul McGann. Yeah, we stopped at good old Paul. Oh, Polly. And he, <laughs> <laughs> and so we, this week we intend to pick up right where we left off in 1996 with the movie, the TV movie, Doctor Who. So, <clears throat> <laughs> here we go this time we're not starting at the very beginning we're starting somewhere in the middle so as we said last week the show was officially canceled in 1989 for after about 26 yeah. years Ugh. yeah michael <laughs> michael, michael grade we have him to blame remember yes. that but doctor who never actually truly disappeared According to an article I found on Digital Spy, the uh, the journalist's name was Morgan Jeffrey, there were seven different attempts to bring the Doctor Who back. Wow. This included a possible American version with Steven Spielberg in 1994. Oh my goodness. And uh, imagine, this would not be Steven Spielberg today. This would be Steven Spielberg during Jurassic Park time. Yeah. This would be Steven Spielberg during Schindler's List time. This is like <laughs> oh. in his prime steven spielberg wow oh my goodness <laughs> i mean one thing that i was like out and then back in all in one sentence there because you said the american version i was like oh i'm out oh no not and the then, american version and then you yeah. said steven spielberg and i'm like oh i'm back in <laughs> i know i feel like you would have started watching the show a lot sooner i might have i might if, have uh, <laughs> discovered it there might have been some dinosaurs and you imagine some steven spielberg practical aliens oh my god the flip (laughs) hasn't there been one yet i mean you can travel through time right there's been episodes with dinosaurs in them yes (sighs) but not not very many no no i I believe one was a matt smith episode yes i think Mm -hmm. it's called dinosaurs on a spaceship yeah i Mm -hmm. believe so oh yeah what you gotta get to it maybe i've seen that and i'm forgetting i think you have i think you have I feel like that's one you would have shown me, yeah. so. <laughs> yeah. I say I think you have with 
a very strong sense of certainty that yeah. you have seen it. Okay. <laughs> so you're sure. just being passive aggressive about it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you've seen it. Anyway. So when the show was canceled back in 1989, like I said before, a producer named Philip Siegel, or Seagal, however you want to say his name. Yeah. Philip Siegel. Tried to relaunch the show with the BBC. Like immediately. Like the show was canceled and he and he said, I, I wanna I wanna bring that. That was dumb. I let's undo let, that. Let's yeah. <laughs> Control Z. Right. <laughs> bring it back. Yes. So he actually ended up being the executive producer that brought Doctor Who back in 1996 with the movie starring Paul McGann, which we just talked about. So the movie was kind of, it was more of an American production. The rights were secured by Universal and uh, it was made here in the United States. And that's probably why the movie takes place in the United States. Mm. They still had a British person play the Doctor. Thank God. You imagine. Yeah, thank goodness. Oh, True. no. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it would not be canon. They w- yeah. No. <laughs> or, or they'd have to have him regenerate at the end of the movie. Or right. the very first episode of the weird. of the next series, yeah. The show hit the American version, and be like, "Nah, get rid of that guy." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this film was originally going to be a remake. They had all kinds of ideas for changing it and making it a totally different show, but one of the writers decided. Well, he didn't decide. He suggested very strongly that they not do a remake, but just do a continuation of the old show which is what they ended up doing and, and it was a pretty it was a pretty good success. In the United States it had low ratings. I think uh, less people watched it in the United States than watched it in the UK. And if you think about it, there are a lot more people in the United States. Mm-hmm. So that's bad. It's not that's not good. There there weren't a lot of, it wasn't very good ratings in the United States, but in the in the UK it got 9 million 9 million viewers in 1996, which is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and critics kind of liked it. That's nice. Yeah, they thought, you know, they liked that it was kind of a darker doctor. It wasn't, you know, some people were thrown off by a lot of the, like, canonical references and things that kind of left people out. Yeah, people who hadn't seen the show up until that point. Yeah, and and I imagine that it wasn't, the show, original show wasn't very popular in the U.S., so that's probably why a lot of people in the U.S. didn't watch it. But I will say, thank whoever that person is who suggested heavily like no continue it his you, name was matthew jacobs oh Thank thanks you. matt you're you're a yeah. real hero because you know how listeners will know how much we how we feel about remakes right guys mm, right they're right. great mm-hmm, mm-hmm. except they're not most of percent. so the movies like felt a little more grown up it was a little more violent it was a darker tone. It wasn't the kind of silly serial sci-fi like show that we had gotten to know. And so it kind of critics kind of enjoyed that and they kind of latched onto it a little bit. And the show that the movie did not, unfortunately, ultimately, it did not lead to a new show, which is what they wanted. Mm-hmm. They wanted yeah. a new show. And so Universal let the copyright lapse. It went back to the BBC. The BBC got a hold of the copyright again. At the time, there was a man in charge of continuing drama at the BBC. His name was Mal Young. And he decided that he was going to reboot the show. When he was looking for a writer, someone suggested to him that he hire Russell T. Davies. And uh, they kind of crafted a show that didn't really go anywhere. But a few years later, the show did come back, as we know. And Russell T. Davies was a very big important part of the new show yes hooray so before we talk about 
the actual reboot and the history of that. We're going to just talk very, very briefly about what happened in the Hooniverse before the, <laughs> between the time, between the time of the cancellation and the movie. And, you know, so we know the movie happened in 96. And so then there was like this time of time period between 96 and 2005 when the show came back and a lot of stuff came out. In there this was time a period. lot. Yeah, there was a lot. Yeah multiple things that started off first with novels there were various novels that have been published though they're widely really considered as non-canon not a lot of people view them as continuing the true stories and the most interesting book probably is the one written by russell t davies called damaged goods in 1996 and put out by virgin books Right. So that was the first time I think he dabbled in the Hooniverse. I keep saying I like <laughs> the Hooniverse. Can we can we get a animated movie called Into the Hooniverse? Oh, that'd be really great. <laughs> so besides the novels, there was a special written by Stephen Moffat. Yes. And it, it was called The Doctor and the Curse of Fatal Death. It was a <laughs> like it was put into four parts. As opposed to um, the regular kind of thing. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and for their 1999 broadcast of Red Nose Day. So that's become a big thing. And I feel like a lot of times on social media, it's portrayed a lot more now. But it's an event meant to raise money to help people in un- underserved com- communities. And so the BBC aired uh, this Doctor Who parody. And it starred... <laughs> Get this, guys. It starred <laughs> Rowan Atkinson, Richard E. Grant, Hugh Grant, Jim Broadbent, and Joanna Lumley. And they were all incarnations of the Doctor. Yeah. yeah. Why? And so, and <laughs> this was, and this was the first time they introduced the idea of re- of regeneration across gender lines. Yes. So uh-huh. this is the first. This is the first time that there is a female. Doctor, she she's technically the first female doctor. Technically, this they don't really count it. Yeah, this isn't really like a canon thing. This yeah. was just a silly little thing that did kind of parody the show and make fun of it a little bit. So they had comedic actors do it, and which because of this, um, there were a lot of people that thought that they might bring Hugh Grant back <laughs> as the new like oh like instead start- of Christopher oh. Eccleston. But because he's more of like that classic dandy, like they would have had him look yeah. kind of fancy. He's very handsome, and they even in the in this broadcast, he was the, like the handsome doctor. Yeah, but obviously they did I'm not go so that way. I'm so glad yeah. they didn't. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> Me well, you don't too. think he would have done a great job? I, I don't. No. <laughs> yeah, he would not. Not have made not a good for doctor. the direction that they were going. But mm-hmm. so there were also audio dramas. You know, like podcasts? Yeah. yeah kind of what like are those? Who <laughs> would want to listen to voices? Yeah. Before the official return of the show, there was uh, there were audio dramas produced by the company Big Finish. These dramas featured past doctors, Peter Davison, Colin Baker, and Sylvester McCoy from the original series and were more serious continuation of the show. Uh-huh. So it is, it is a little bit more like an actual continuation because it actually had past doctors on it. Yeah. And uh, so I, I guess if you got a hold of it and listened to it, maybe that's canon. Like I said, everyone argues about canon mm-hmm. and what's canon and what isn't. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that would be... I wonder... Yeah, kind of a... Has, has, the, has the BBC put out any official word on what's canon? No. Mm-mm. Okay. Nothing. No, they... they, they just have- 
Yeah, they just want everyone to decide for themselves, mm-hmm. oh, okay. essentially, because the show's, I guess that's what they want wanted the show to be anyway. Yeah, they want it to be, him to be a mystery, essentially, yeah. so, and it worked. Right. So the last thing that we have on here talking about before the new show aired was a web series called uh, Scream of the Shalka. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Before the announcement <laughs> of the new show, BBC One created a new animated version starring Richard E. Grant, who we just said played an incarnation of the Doctor during that Red Nose Day special. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes, and he played the Doctor here, and that he was officially known as the Ninth Doctor. This was considered mm. this was considered the show. This was considered Doctor Who. Oh. This was not some spin-off or some weird this was the show, and he was the ninth doctor. Until they announced that they were bringing the show back, uh-huh. and okay. it like, quickly got forgotten, and nobody yeah, sque- nobody considers this to be the actual show anymore. Sweep that under the rug. Yeah. So that's all we have for everything leading up to from the old from the movie into the new show, and now we'll talk about the new show. Yay! It happened again, just as it had before. <laughs> BBC was in need of a new drama for Saturdays, Woo! just like it was back in the nineteen sixties. And so the controller decided, her name was Lorraine Hegesy, and the head of drama commissioning, Jane Trantor, ordered a new season of the show with Russell T. Davies, Julie Gardner, and Mal Young at the helm. They were going to lead the show, and it was going to be fantastic. Sure was. Yeah. Now, so at this point, Russell T. Davies was actually a well-known scriptwriter, and he had done, he'd just done a, a really well-received show called Queer as Folk. He, since he'd already kind of participated in the Hooniverse, you know. With that book that he wrote. Yeah, they actually trusted him so much that he they didn't even, he never even wrote like a formal pitch. Oh, really? He didn't have to write a formal pitch for the show. They wow. just They just decided, we're bringing the show back and we want you to do it. I mean, it just, it was, huh. they That's just decided. Amazing. Yeah. And so they greenlit the season without even... <laughs> without even getting a pitch he got they got the pitch later and then they got episode one and they're like oh god oh no (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) all right so the bbc and doctor who showrunners used the data from the previous seasons to determine that the new show had to be different it just had to be as the show in the 80s didn't have a large enough audience to keep it on the air they needed it to attract new viewers, rebrand the show, but not betray its origins. And so, in a pitch document, Davies described the new Doctor as your best friend. Someone you want to be with all the time. He's wise and funny, fast and sarky, cheeky and brave. And considering he's an alien, he's more human than the best human you could imagine. So full of compassion, his heart could burst and his head's jam-packed with science and art and history. Well, his two hearts could burst. I mean, oh. get that right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So Davies made the decision to ignore a lot of the continuity from the old series, which in turn helped solve the issue of a lack of mystery around the Doctor. Mm. He decided. He basically, <laughs> from what I read, he he said, "Let's keep the screwdriver, the two hearts, the TARDIS. We're gonna keep all that." but we're just basically going to throw away everything else. Yeah. Like, we're not going to say that it didn't happen or that it's not true. Right. We're just not going to talk about it. And we're, we're mm-hmm. going to just, it's mm-hmm. a, it's totally, we're only going to take the best bits, is what he said. 
Which is, I mean, I think was a pretty good decision. It made a lot of sense. Yeah, after how many episodes right. of the he, old show? He almost didn't even, he didn't even want regeneration to be a big thing really? right away. Yeah, he wanted to it to, it to be something that came up if necessary. Mm. But he didn't want it, because in the movie, regeneration is what happens in the very beginning of the movie. And so he decided, we're not going to start the show with a regeneration. We're going to start the show with a doctor, and that's just who the doctor is. They, the series establishes very early that Christopher Eccleston is the Doctor. And this helped with the new audience that was unfamiliar with the show. Because, like Marcy just said, they needed to create a show that could draw in the old, passionate viewers, but also open, open a world to a whole new audience because it, there just wasn't enough older, passionate viewers to keep the show afloat. Mm. So they had to change some stuff and make it, you know, a little more cool and hip for the kids yeah. <laughs> Davies changed the format of the show it was no longer the serial from the past it was now 45 minute pro- it was now a 45 minute program with its new story each week and he added a hook at the end of each episode to bring the audience back instead of a cliffhanger oh okay I see nice. <laughs> so Mal Young, one of the producers, was the first one to suggest Christopher Eccleston to play the Ninth Doctor. And Davies felt that he played the role perfectly. Mm -hmm. The idea was that they wanted to leave behind the, quote, neutered, posh Doctor (laughs) for someone immediate and tactile. Okay. I'd I'd say they nailed that pretty well then. Yeah. 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 I, I mean... Right. And uh, I think, you know, we're going to talk about Eccleston in just a second and how he did as a doctor because Marcy really likes him. Yeah. And so that, that we're going to have a have a grand old time discussing how great of a doctor. Yeah. Right. So one of the biggest changes that Davies made was destroying the Time Lords. <laughs> he got rid of all of them. Mm-hmm. And it's very early on. It's so it's it's immediately you could see it in the show. And because uh, I'm rewatching it right now, and you know, it's just he's very brooding right now. Like mm-hmm. you know, he's got, he has this you know edge to him, and it's something that they, if you especially if you watched the old show, you knew that he had a planet, and you knew that he had people, and then suddenly in this new show, he's just very like, I don't want to talk about where I'm from. I don't want to say who I am. And in, mm-hmm. in the beginning, and you're kind of like, what's what? wrong with him? Okay. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. yeah. You okay, bro? <laughs> right. Uh, Gallifrey was once a large part of the show's plot. And Davies wrote in that the Doctor's planet of Gallifrey had been destroyed. And with it, all of the Time Lords. Why? Well, being the only Time Lord emphasizes the, the, do- it emphasizes the Doctor's loneliness. It makes him seem unique and impossible. And most importantly, it would ensure that no other Time Lords could show up in the show I think he basically, Davies, uh, what did he say? No old men in funny hats. Yes. Will we'll show up. <laughs> Such a way with words. Yes. Uh, so he made a lot of really big changes. And I, I think some some people fought him on some of these changes, but then ultimately they realized that he was right. Yeah. yeah. And he made a lot of, I mean, these the show probably wouldn't air now if it weren't for yeah, these changes that he made. Long, yeah. Yeah. Davies, one last big thing that he changed was that he decided that the show would mostly involve human stories. He wanted it to be accessible to pretty much everybody that was watching the show, humans. So he made sure that the stories involved humans. Almost every single episode 
has humans in it. Yeah. Because he felt like people weren't going to care about random aliens on random planets right. that nobody knew anything about. Yeah, the the in and having a companion helps with that too. Right. You mm-hmm. know, so you at least have one because if you end up on a planet where, you know, like future Earth or something where there are now aliens living amongst humans. Yeah. You know, at least there's one to hold on to, you know, in the companion, so. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. And uh, the show, what do you think, guys? That's all right. Was it? <laughs> it was a success. Wait, it was a Come success? On. I think it might have been a success. Yeah. I think it might have. Yeah. Right, right. I, yeah. think, I think he did a good job. Yeah. Um, competing networks even attempted to topple the series by airing blockbuster films the same time the show was airing. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. And one of those <laughs> was mm. Star Wars Episode One, which we think is very funny. Yes. Because do. do you remember Michael Grade? Blockbuster. Yeah. Do you remember what Michael Grade said about how yeah. Star Wars made Doctor Who look like shit? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You remember that little fact? I, mm-hmm. I remember yeah. that. I, and, yeah. uh, <laughs> and it was hilarious because they, you know, in the book that I was reading, they very pointedly said, Star Wars made gave us unrealistic expectations for sci-fi television shows mm-hmm. and uh, doctor who couldn't live up to those expectations and people thought that was part of the reason why it got canceled when it did and now here was it well here it was like face to face with the star wars film and it fucking smashed it it did yeah <laughs> the ratings. <laughs> which i mean you know i don't know I mean, it was episode one, so... It was episode mm-hmm. one, and also, I mean, it the movie had already been out, but right. I still, still think, you know... yeah. Never, I mean, yeah. as far as um, quality goes, absolutely, because, you know, George Lucas, nobody said no to him during right. the production of the prequels, and you can tell that it's just a CGI nightmare. And even... With the lower budget of a weekly show, mm-hmm. they, you know, the effects in Doctor Who are still better in a lot of ways, and, <laughs> and they use a lot more practical effects too. They do, and because yeah. that's yeah. the thing about the prequels, there's like none. I love practical you know, effects. Practical is always the way to go. Yeah. So, guys, on March twenty sixth, two thousand five, the world was introduced to the new Doctor and his young companion Rose. The episode included callbacks to the old show, including the villain being the nesting consciousness and its plastic autons. It even recreated a famous scene when the shop dummies come to life. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, yeah, I just rewatched this episode and I, I love it because I, I watched it with my dad who grew up in the 60s, and so weird sci-fi doesn't mm-hmm. face him at all. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's... Because I, I, I showed this show to, like, people my own age, and this is one of those episodes people are like, ugh, I don't, I don't like this. This is weird. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm like, no, no, you have to keep watching. You have to, you have to keep watching the show. Just get through it. Yeah, I've had to say that to so many people. <laughs> no, no, just keep watching. And my dad, totally unfazed, he's like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. Okay. you know and it so it's like this like these callbacks to the old show it's really it's really fun to actually know where all this stuff is coming from and the nesting consciousness is one of those things Mm -hmm. so let's talk about the new doctor for 2005 yes let's let's talk about christopher eccleson so he is the one that brought it all back he is the ninth incarnation officially 
of the doctor and he was really he was just crucial in the reinvention it was just a really big chance to just start fresh and so his portrayal is arguably different than all the other doctors before and since him so far from again we've talked we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier robin mentioned it like they strayed from that like dandy fancy english look um, of all his past selves, and they took on a rougher look with... Yeah, yeah. he's just got a jacket. Exactly. <laughs> he's got a leather jacket, boots, and black trousers. Uh, and he also ditched any accessories. Like, we talked about how the other ones had, like... A hat or uh, a scarf. Yeah, a hat or a scarf or, like, a little uh, question mark on the collar, things like that. All of that was gone. He was simplified. He was rougher. It was perfect. And so... Um, since Davy's decision to make the Doctor the last of the Time Lords, it brought out another side to his performance. So, like, he had this rougher look, but he also had kind of, like, a rougher personality at times, too. He had an anger to him where he could kind of just, like, explode and kind of yell yeah, at, he, at he things or some, people. <laughs> yeah, he had some human emotions, for God's sake. Yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't... Uh, you know, above everyone, like, oh yes, I'm a time lord, and you're just a silly human. Like, I know he didn't, I know he didn't really act like that, but like, you know what <laughs> I mean. It, he he felt more grounded in the universe because, yeah, looking back at what had just happened, you know, of course he would feel like that. You know, mm-hmm. he'd be upset. Yeah, I for mean, sure. anybody would. He would. Along with this like major anger that he had he also had this guilt and this guilt came from him being the sole survivor of this time war he felt so guilty that he was the only one and they slowly kind of reveal as you know the seasons go on why he feels that heavy of guilt right yeah yeah i'm a time lord i'm the last of the time lords they're all gone. I'm the only survivor. I'm left traveling on my own because there's no one else. And along with that, I think it really plays on why he was so protective of Rose. He wanted to make sure he could save somebody. Yeah. You know, he, he had somebody and he needed to make sure that she was okay. There were multiple times when something like happened to her or like, you know, she was taken or something like that. There are and, a lot of Rose death fake outs. Yeah. And he's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, you better. What did you do to Rose? You Where, is Where is she? <laughs> Where is she? <laughs> Where are the Rose going? <laughs> Basically like, if you touch a hair on her head kind of, kind of moments. <laughs> <laughs> Which is re- really sweet, and and their like kind of friendship is is really nice. So just a few days after the pr- the first episode of the new series premiered, just a couple days later, their announcement an announcement was made that Christopher Eccleston had quit the show. Mm-hmm. A sad like a day. Punk. Sad day. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. He's a little yeah. punkish. A little punkish. Yeah. Um, later in an interview, he he was asked uh, why he left, and he, gave, he, he finally gave a reason, because it took a while for him to actually give a reason. 
And he said, my relationship with my three immediate superiors, the showrunner, the producer, and co-producer, broke down irreparably during the first block of filming, and it never recovered. Mm. They lost trust in me, and I lost faith and trust and belief in them. Some of my anger about the situation came from my own insecurity. They employed somebody who was not a natural light comedian. Billy, who we know was and is brilliant, was very, very, very nervous and very, very inexperienced. So you had that, and then you had me. Very, very experienced, possibly the most experienced on it, but out of my comfort zone. He, I, I understand the fact that it, it might have been hard for him to have more of a humorous side. Maybe that didn't yeah. come naturally to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, there are but, like some really cheesy moments in the first season that are kind of, it, it's, it is a little hard. There's like a tiny bit of cringe when you're watching <laughs> it and it, you kind of get this feeling that it was tough for him. Like there's a mm-hmm. scene when, in at the end of the first season, when uh, some shit's happening with Rose and he turns to her and he's like, you need a doctor and he kisses her. You know, it's it's, it's very cheesy. Like it's a cheesy, yeah. maybe it was moments like that that made that him made feel him like, part, yeah. I'm not really right for this part. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think I'm going to leave now. Yeah. That, yeah. that new SpongeBob meme floating around. I'm yeah, head out. I'm a head out. Um, right. <laughs> so on Twitter, we asked who everybody's favorite doctor is and joe i hope that i pronounced this right joe aragon aragon at j underscore aragon said he really enjoyed eccleston's short run you know i did too i think it was the first doctor for me because mm-hmm. robin when you showed me the show you started me at the beginning and then you were like oh here's some other episodes right i mm-hmm. think the first episode that i actually got you to watch mm-hmm. was the um empty the child. empty child which is which was a christopher eccleston episode and it mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. the one with the kids with the gas masks yes that's right the two-parter mm-hmm. yes. yeah okay Yep, and then and then we went back and watched the mm-hmm. f- whole first season again. Yeah. But but yeah, he he's technically my first doctor, and I know a lot of people kind of stick to their first doctor. You know, um, I wouldn't say I'm like he, I wouldn't call him my favorite necessarily, but I really enjoyed it. It's obviously what got me into the show, so I can completely understand why people still enjoy it, even if it's just for one quick season. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he was my first doctor. For sure, he's that. That is how I got. I love into this. Dr. I love it. <laughs> for sure. This guys, talking about your first doctor. I, I know. Oh, my first doctor. <laughs> Mine was a pediatrician. <laughs> yeah. <Boo. laughs> You're off the show. That's lame. <laughs> that was a pretty good joke. Whatever, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, um, so. The doc, the Christopher Eccleston's doctor, his companion was played by Billy Piper. She played Rose, and Rose is a very popular companion. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. in 2013 they did a poll. The BBC America did a poll to you know for favorite companion for favorite companions, and I think she was number five. Mm-hmm. And this would be out of the entire show's history. That's pretty Which good. Is a lot yeah. of years. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean. Just from the new series, all of them have been really good, so it's a lot of competition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when it came to the new show, the new Doctor was obviously an important part of the puzzle. But what's also incredibly important is the supporting cast, the companion. Mm-hmm. The companion needs to be somebody that we identify with as an audience because we don't identify with the Doctor. That's not 
his role. We're not supposed to identify with him. We're supposed to be intrigued by him. He's supposed to be mysterious. He's kind of pulling us along. Yeah. And Billy Piper, Rose, was the character that we are supposed to kind of latch onto and, and see through her eyes. And she was only 23 years old when she was cast as Rose. Oh, my gosh. She's a young shop clerk who gets whisked away and eventually falls in love with the doctor, which kind of became a little bit of a cliche. Mm-hmm. With the show, it was kind of like a, a thing you kind of expected to happen yeah. sometimes, you know, because it happens with Rose and it kind of happens with Martha. Yeah. And then they kind of they had to start like throwing things on their head after a while to make sure to change things up and make things more interesting. <laughs> yeah. And like, oh, no, we're we're doing this too much. And they're like, OK, we're going to add Donna. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> Rose was the perfect vehicle for the new audience to discover the Doctor. She maintained the curiosity and wit of past companions with an edge of sass and bravery. Mm. So, uh, we're going to talk about the rest of the Doctors. Yeah. So, while Russell T. Davies was working on the new series Doctor Who, he was also working on a series called Casanova, starring David Tennant. And... uh, they were working together, and Russell T. Davies knew that David Tennant was a fan of Doctor Who, and so he said, "How about you come on over to my place? Hmm. We we don't we're, we're looking at some rough cuts of the show. I thought maybe you'd like to see it. You know, you'd be interested in that." And David Tennant said, "Sure." So he went over, and Russell T. Davies said, "We would want you to take over for Christopher Eccleston." Oh damn! And uh, the show hadn't the show hadn't like uh, aired yet, but I think he had already quit. Like, they already knew that he wasn't going to stick around. Quit during post-production. Yeah, like, I think that they already knew that he wasn't going to be around. Yeah. Because I think it's very clear that he quit. They didn't fire him. Mm -hmm. And uh, David Tennant was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, uh. Okay. And so they said, yeah, so we're still filming. They were still filming. uh, They had to film the the last thing they had to film was the regeneration. Mm -hmm. And David Tennant had to come in for, like, a 20-second scene where, you know, Christopher Eccleston regenerates and becomes David Tennant. And he said that he was honestly afraid that because the show hadn't aired yet, he didn't know how successful it was going to be. And he was like, I finally, Uh. finally get to be the doctor. And I'm afraid the show will get canceled. And I'll be that guy that was only the doctor for 20 seconds. Oh, (laughs) man. At the end of the series. Could you imagine if they did? Oh, no. If, so it, he, if it didn't yeah. get its second season, oh my god! Uh, he was he was a little worried about it, but don't worry, it did it did get renewed, and David Tennant became the next Doctor. Iconic. When we asked on Twitter, people's favorite Doctors, uh, Luna at Luna underscore Dea, I guess mm-hmm. how I would say that. Yep. She said that David Tennant was her absolute favorite, but that she has respect and credits Eccleston for the success of the new series, and that's why she's obsessed with the show. <laughs> Which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of what we were just saying before. Yeah, absolutely true. And David Tennant mm-hmm. is my favorite doctor. Was he your first he's doctor? Just... No. <laughs> oh, okay. He's just an amazing doctor. He, I, mean, I mean, no, he's just, he's no really buts good. about it. I, I yeah. love the Doctor Donna. Doctor Donna. Yeah. Doctor yeah. Donna. I, I really think that, you know, sure, we credit Eccleston for kind of kickstarting this new version and, you know. Yeah kind of getting people interested but it wasn't until david Tennant where it really cemented itself into pop culture and and became bigger than 
there's something about the way he played the role Mm -hmm. because you know like we said with christopher eccleston he had he had a difficult time kind of playing off those funnier more cheesier scenes and lines and for some reason david tennant was able to totally it's like he could flip a switch as the mm-hmm. character, and he was so good at it. Mm-hmm. He was so good at being the doctor frustrated and the doctor angry and the doctor sad. And, you know, he was really good at carrying out those more serious and darker emotions that, that we didn't see in the old show. Mm-hmm. And then when it was time for him to be ridiculous, he was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. He played the doctor more as a character that was kind of trying to hold on to youth and happiness mm-hmm. and the idea of a companion and not being lonely. And he kind of tried to fight off the feelings of loneliness and sadness with his over overly silliness mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. times. And then when it became time for him to, you know, kick ass and take names, he kind of came in and did it. Right. And he, there was no question. And he always felt like the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm. I'm the doctor. I'm a time lord. I'm from the planet Gallifrey, the constellation of Casterberus. I'm 903 years old, and I'm the man who's going to save your lives and all six billion people on the planet below. And I remember watching the show when I was watching it for the first time. Every time he showed up in a scene, I thought, everything's going to be okay. He had a very steady, stalwart Mm -hmm. appearance, and and I think that's why I like it. A huge, like a very obvious leadership feeling, like... An episode that I always remember is the Impossible Planet. Yes, he ends up on the the station that's on like a or uh, the planet orbiting a black hole, and he's like impossible. But you know, throughout the show, you know, there's a captain of this crew, but no matter what, the Doctor is still yeah leagues ahead of everyone. You know, mm-hmm. understands like that this is how it works. This is impossible. Blah blah blah. But is still able to explain. Yes. Whatever needs to be explained, yes. you know, it's With incredible. The wibbly wobbly timey wimey, you know. Stuff. Such good lines. Oh, yeah, too. only David Tennant could pull off that line. Yeah. He still yeah. sound like smart. Yeah. <laughs> wibbly wobbly. He's like, look, wimey. it's confusing, okay? <laughs> I'm not gonna try yeah. to get your exactly. puny right. human brain. <laughs> so he had uh David Tennant had other companions. He had Rose, which we already talked about. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we know with Rose she did she ended up kind of falling in love with with the doctor mm-hmm. a little bit. And, you know, that was an arc and it was interesting. And when Rose was gone, once once that ended, Martha took over. And Martha was a little more mature. She was an older companion. She was older than Rose. She was a doctor. She was really intelligent. And so she, she was a different... I love that each companion, as they come in, they're like a different person and they mm-hmm. bring out a different side of the doctor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Martha Jones, you saved the world. Yes, I did. I spent a lot of time with you thinking I was second best, but you know what? I am good. <laughs> so, uh, Martha was played by Freema Aguman. Mm-hmm. She was cast in the role after auditioning three different times. She auditioned three different times for three different parts on the show. One of them, she didn't get cast. One of them, the, the part got cut. And the other one, she actually got the part in a Cyberman episode in season two. So if you watch season two, you will see her. She does have a speaking role. And she dies, or she becomes a Cyberman. Yeah, her character does in in the season two episode. And when they, when they cast her as the new companion, as Martha, there's one line where she just says, I had a cousin at Canary Wharf, which is 
which is where the Cybermen uh, took over, yeah. and so that's how they that's how they explain it in the show. It's just nice. an identical cousin. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> As if they really even needed. Yeah, to. they didn't really. I <laughs> mean, it was. Really. I mean, they yeah. didn't. She actually, because of because she showed them that she was able to really be kind of versatile with the characters. They said, "Let's bring her back because we saw her play three different people." Yeah, <laughs> and we yeah. liked it. So then we have, so I think Marcy's favorite companion of yeah, all time. Dom. Mine too. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she's up there. Mm-hmm. She is definitely Donna. Donna, Donna, Donna. Who could for- <laughs> I mean, how can you forget Donna? <laughs> so Donna, uh, when, when Catherine Tate was cast in the role of Donna Noble, it was a big secret. She was already well known as a prominent comedian and actress. So her appearance was a great surprise. She wasn't meant to be a recurring character on the show, but only meant to be in one special. Oh, really? Yes. Because she actually is in the episode just before Martha yes. is introduced. She shows up in oh. The Runaway Bride. Yes, The Runaway Bride. Mm-hmm. Okay. But Davies considered bringing her back for a season, toning down her abrasive and outspoken nature as a character. <laughs> Yeah, Davies actually initially thought that she would get on people's nerves, the character would, and that's why he didn't want her to be in the show for like a full season at least. And so when he did bring her back, he did try to tone her down just a little bit, but oh, I love Donna so much. Yeah. Donna, yeah, she's in her mid-30s, she's a temp at, in Chiswick. I love I love how strong she is. She's a very strong yeah. character, and it, what's so cool about her is that she has this incredible arc which I think a lot of people consider it to be one of the, I think probably one of the best arcs of any character, in, mm-hmm. at least in the new show. Because a lot of the companions, a lot of the time they'll, you know, they'll learn and change a little bit and then they'll leave. But Donna is very different. Her story is really special. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so Donna kind of starts out being down on herself. She doesn't really think much of herself. And she doesn't think that she's special or important or interesting. And she meets the doctor, who is someone who is very interesting. And she establishes early on that all she wants is just someone to to hang out with. She wants a mate. Yeah, he wa- he wants a mate, and she wants a mate, and they're just they're really they're just best friends. I just want a mate. You just want two mates. I just want a mate. You're not mating with me, sunshine. A mate. I want a mate. Well, just as well, because I'm not having any of that nonsense. I mean, you're just a long streak of nothing. You know, alien nothing. There we are, then. Okay. I can come. Ah. Who's going there? I love it. (laughs) I love it. And we get this really wonderful season where it's just two best friends hanging out the whole time. Yeah. And at the end of it, I think she has the most devastating ending. Yes. Of, I, I agree. You know, sometimes companions don't survive for very long or that kind of thing. But with Donna, what happens with her is very sad. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very sad ending. And I think we're going to talk about it more next week when we talk about our favorite episodes and important moments from the show. Yeah. Each doctor brings something different to the role. They'll change their clothing. A lot mm-hmm. of the time they get to choose their clothes. They get to, you know, add or at least something be as, part of it. Yeah, they add something that's their own or they get to choose their clothes. And that's really kind of cool. Yeah. And uh, so David Tennant wore, he had he wanted this kind of nutty, like this fun professor look, right? He's a little mismatched. Yes. 
had the little like glass when he wanted to you could wear glasses like yes. it was it was kind of just for style 3D glasses pretty much sometimes. But, yeah he yeah. wore like these yeah kind of hipster glasses, hipster glasses. and his hair was all sticky uppy yeah and he <laughs> had those he had a long, long striped suit, suit. yeah, yeah. First, and yeah. yeah and it was there he wore sand shoes as they called them in the show and a, and a long cloak so he wanted it was like a kind of a mismatched kind of a professor character and I think probably I think it's the coolest costume. I was gonna say it's yeah. like, but now it's just unmistakably Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see somebody dressed in that; they don't even have any of the accessories, or their hair's not up yet, or anything like that. And you're like, oh, yeah. you're going as uh, David Tennant. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That kind of thing. Robin and I just went to a honey festival, and there I saw a gentleman wearing just a t-shirt that had the design of uh, <laughs> his suit on the front oh, of it. Cool. So just yeah. like the tie and then the, like the striped brown and, yep. and yeah. That's cool. And it's like, oh, I know exactly I know exactly that what is. that is. <laughs> right. His catchphrase was Allons-y. <laughs> Another thing that he also did was, which I really enjoyed was, well, <laughs> well, well. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he would do that and then the way that he would deliver bra- bad news sometimes um was also interesting he, he'd be like i'm sorry i'm so sorry yeah like just the the way he delivered it i cannot you know yeah, even back touch to, how he did it back to but, what you said earlier about him being able to really deliver on the serious moments when he needed to you know, saying yeah. something like alonzi alonzo is like hilarious <laughs> and goofy and, yeah. and the yeah. way he's dressed is mismatched and goofy but then still yeah still when it needs to be serious i'd like to get all my bad news from david Tennant, please (laughs) all of it (laughs) that would be nice i would enjoy that very much so yeah okay we're gonna take a little break right now and i want to know do you enjoy the black case diaries well if so the podcoin app pays you to listen to this podcast and every podcast it's the podcast player that pays Just get the app free on iPhone or Android. You can use the PodCoin you earn to claim gift cards or donate to charity. Use our invite code BLACKCASE, all in caps, and you'll get 300 PodCoin right away. Also, earn PodCoin faster by listening to bonus podcasts like the Black Case Diaries and others. So, after David Tennant, we have... Matt Smith. So from, uh, yeah, from 2010 to 2013, Matt Smith, uh, a lot of people's uh, favorite doctor. I hear about him a lot of times, too. He's the youngest to ever play the doctor. He was only 26 when they cast him, which is ridiculous, because that's like our age right now. (laughs) And we're like, why the heck aren't I a doctor yet? Uh, Matt Smith's doctor ushered in a new era of the show, the beginning of Stephen Moffat's turn as showrunner, which we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Pretty good news, I think. The introduction of Smith felt like a new show. It had a different look and feel with a new TARDIS after the old one crash-landed. You know, the the inside of the TARDIS completely redesigned, you know, kind of the whole personality of the show was refreshed. It, it felt newer. It felt more... I don't know, futuristic. I, I I like to think of the David Tennant TARDIS as like a Dr. Seuss painting almost. Mm-hmm. It's kind of whacked. Yeah. But then the, the the Matt Smith TARDIS is very clean. The David Tennant felt very sci-fi-y. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very British. Mm-hmm. 
and kind of niche. And then the Matt Smith felt very streamlined and ready for like every like the rest of the world. It didn't seem so much like a sci-fi show mm-hmm. anymore. The by the way that it looked, I remember when he regenerated, and I was like, "Whoa, it's like <laughs> a whole different show. It's totally different." No, I guess that was the that was the whole point they were going for. And I and I want to mention real quick, I love in this Chris in the special when um, they have more of the doctors come back. And David Tennant goes into the new TARDIS and is like, oh, you've redecorated. I don't like it. <laughs> That's actually a running Doctor Who yeah, joke. Yeah that, was the, yeah, that was the first time I'd seen that. Yeah. But yeah, it is a running joke. It's pretty great. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense when like he changes as a person. or well, person each yeah, time. Yeah. Like... He doesn't just change his face. His personality and everything about him changes too. So. Right. And it's got to be the weirdest for the companion to yeah. be like, oh, well, you were just this person yeah. and now you're... Com- what? <laughs> but anyways. Yeah. Also, we're talking about the clothing. Matt Smith, the the jacket that he wears mm-hmm. was actually his own jacket. Oh, really? That he brought onto the set. That's pretty great. Yeah. Did he bring the fez too? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but the jacket that he wore was his. Nice. So, you know, like sometimes people would just bring stuff, which That's is kind of neat. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, one of the other things about when he regenerates the apple thing, that was the callback to the old show. There's, I think, when Colin Baker regenerates, he's eating an apple. And in this one, when he regenerates, he requests an apple. He's, oh, I love apples. I want an apple. And he finds out he does not. Yeah. Does not like apples. Yeah, he, yeah, he takes a bite and, throw, and it's gross. He, I think he literally throws it across the room. It's yeah. like, no, apples are rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he... Uh, I'm watching that scene. I absolutely love that. We'll talk about it later, but I love that scene because it kind of reminds me of when a woman becomes pregnant Uh. and she, her body's changing a lot. Oh yeah. Yeah. And she'll have food aversions and it's like, she suddenly doesn't know what she likes anymore. (laughs) And you know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like that. Um, but so the companions for Matt Smith, Amy Pond and Rory Williams, Mm. the, the couple, which is kind of a weird uh, dynamic because we talked about how the the companion kind of always fo- seems to fall in love with the doctor, mm-hmm. but this companion started out with Amy Pond and then Rory yeah. was kind of in and out for a while. Karen Gillen, is that how you say it? Yep. Gillen uh, is uh, had played a character in in season four episode um, brought back as Amy Pond. Yeah, she, she was actually in that Pompeii so, episode. Yes, oh, which yes. references mm-hmm. a second ago. Yep. Um, and you would know her now probably from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, she plays Nebula. Nebula. Mm-hmm. And she's also in uh, uh, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. <sighs> she's in that movie too. Yeah. Um, and real quick, dedication to the part. She like actually shaved her head to play Nebula, I which know, is like, man. wow. Yeah. With all the CG they can do, you <laughs> like, can just get rid of her hair. But dang. she's like, nah, I'm going to go all the way. So props to her. Amy is strong, curious, fiery, and a device for the audience to get to know this new version of the Doctor. You're Amelia. You're late. Amelia Pond, you're the little girl. I'm Amelia, and you're late. What happened? Twelve years. You hit me with a cricket bat. (laughs) Twelve years. A cricket bat? Twelve years, and four psychiatrists. Four. I kept biting them. Why? So, not taking any shit from anybody. Right. (laughs) It makes it easier for us to handle this newfangled youngster Doctor. Um... And Rory is a foil to Amy. You know, 
a, a more grounded and cautious companion, and the the two together make up the first married couple as a companion in the new series. Yeah, which is pretty cool. But yeah, the balance between Amy and Rory is perfect. I mean, I've seen a lot of the Matt Smith seasons. I haven't seen all of it yet, but I I, I was like, oh Rory, what are you doing? Or <laughs> oh Amy, no, that's a you know yeah. Yeah, it's dangerous or whatever. But the two of them balancing together is like right. the perfect and the it's really cool it's an interesting uh, situation because the doctor really treat like he it, being with the doctor really changes amy and you know she grows up a lot with him and she learns to love rory and appreciate him more the longer she's with the doctor and i think mm-hmm. that's a really interesting relationship versus the previous companions mm-hmm. so it is that is really cool you know because he feels you know, we you look at Rose in the first season with Mickey, and Mickey kind of he's you know kind of pissed off because he feels like he's playing second fiddle to the Doctor all the time, and he kind of is. I kind of understand why Mickey's yeah. pissed off yeah. about it. I mean, this is his girlfriend, and you know now she's with somebody else. This just guy cause, from space is sort of yeah. I mean, that I totally I get it, you know. And but with Rory, it's different. He kind of you know the, this is where she learns to appreciate. Mm-hmm. who she's with more and not abandon that person for the doctor and not, not that rose abandoned mickey it just didn't work out but. right mm-hmm. plus it helps that rory kind of went with them some mm-hmm. of the times i mean he wasn't there the whole time but you know eventually he'd be there you know whereas rose l- left everyone it's like well i'll be yeah. back sometime maybe who mickey knows went on some adventures with but them. they yeah he, that's true he did go on some of them and he ended up in the alternate universe of the Cybermen yeah. and all that. But, <laughs> but um, you know, at first he was like, well, I've got too much to worry about to go on this adventure. And it kind of like, you know, put an immediate wedge between Rose and Mickey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the Doctor was a, an immediate wedge, whereas with Matt Smith, it didn't create that problem. Right. Yes. So the another one of Matt Smith's companions, Clara Oswald, um, one of my favorite companions, just because the wow, the really? I'm surprised. Yeah, I okay. I don't I don't know what it is about her, but a lot of the episodes that I've seen with her, I'm just like, wow, she's pretty great. Why is that? Is that controversial? You're looking that, at me like that it's, it's, it, a lot it's of people different. hate Clara. Yeah, really, a lot of people yeah. hate Clara. Well, come yeah. at me. No, I mean that's you're allowed to like her. No, yeah. I think she's pretty great. I think yeah. she does well, especially with uh, Peter Capaldi too, which we'll talk about him. soon. Really? Well, well. There you go. Hot takes here on the Black Hysteries. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Jenna Coleman, despite admitting to never watching the show before uh, playing Clara, was cast as Matt Smith's companion after the exit of Amy and Rory. When she was cast, she only watched a few episodes that aired before hers in order to get an idea of the show. She didn't want Amy and Rory's interactions with the doctor to influence how she played the character. That's pretty interesting. She um she going into it to to purposefully be completely fresh, which is I guess the idea of all these different companions, you know, right. bringing out a different yeah. side of the doctor like you mentioned before. Uh Clara is known as the impossible girl, a face that appears throughout the doctor's timeline with mis- in mysterious ways. She also is a school teacher bringing the show back to its origins, the first companions. Clara is meant to be different from Amy so that the audience can see a new side of this new doctor. Stephen Moffat stated that Clara had a, a speed 
and wit and unimpressed quality that makes the doctor dance a bit harder. <laughs> Scanning you. You're in another of the escape pods from the Alaska, right? Same ship I was on. How can you hack into everything? It should be impossible. You're in a crash ship. Long story. There a word for total screaming genie that sounds modest and a tiny bit sexy? Doctor. You call me the doctor. See what you did there? Yeah. <laughs> she, similar to Donna, doesn't take any shit, but in a, in a way where she's like, well, prove it. You know, or if, or, or if you're, you think you're so smart, well, what about this? You know, that kind of attitude. And I think partially that might be why I think she's one of my favorite commanders. I can't say that she is my favorite. It's hard for me to decide, but, but I do like that. And it works, it works well with Matt Smith kind of poking at him, you know. Right. Pu- mm-hmm. Pushing his buttons a little bit. Yeah. So the plot line of her being the impossible girl is really interesting and different. They kind of, what they did was they introduced her early in the show as different characters. And then they introduced her as the companion. Okay. So it was kind of a confusing On beginning. purpose kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. She's in a special. She plays a character in a special. And then she plays a character in an episode with Amy and Rory. And then it's like, well, that's weird. I've seen her before. Mm-hmm. And then she becomes the companion. Nice. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. something I haven't come across yet you guys have seen the whole show by this mm-hmm. point so i i yeah yeah i haven't gotten any of that those answers yet yeah. so then you might not like her no I'm just i mean <laughs> yeah i mean here's the thing it you might, might you might, might get change. tired of her for me i just don't think i liked her character arc as much as yeah. like donna or rose right even, or it it just wasn't she is kind of static for me but yeah but you know some yeah i don't know some shit happens but she definitely <laughs> I'm trying to think. I mean, halfway through season seven, then she's in through all the way through season eight, nine. Mm-hmm. So yeah, My she's goodness. two and a half seasons. Of... Yeah, she's like that teacher that sticks with. You. <laughs> oh boy. But yeah, so Matt Smith's catchphrase catchphrase was Geronimo. He also liked to say that bow ties were cool. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing that everywhere in college. Yes, <laughs> bow ties are cool. All right. <laughs> Nobody ever kept with the fezes are cool though, did they? Mm-hmm. Nope. <laughs> They just weren't cool enough. They just weren't cool. <laughs> it just wasn't true. Yeah. You can make a bow tie work, but it's really hard to make a fez work. Yeah. Uh, Possibly so, impossible. But. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next we have Peter Capaldi. In 2013, BBC revealed that they had cast Peter Capaldi as the 12th incarnation of the Doctor. And he was a total shift after Matt Smith because Matt Smith was the youngest to play the role and Capaldi would be the oldest to play the character. Tied with William Hartnell at age 55. Yeah, yeah. Um, But then (laughs) that was really until John Hurt would play the version of uh, the character in the 50th anniversary as the war doctor. Right, so... He started out at age 55, which is the same age as William Hartnell, which is really funny. Because mm-hmm. if you look at William Hartnell and you look at Peter Capaldi, they do not look like they're the same age. No. William <laughs> Hartnell looks like he's, like, nearing 80. <laughs> and <laughs> they don't look like they're the same age at all. It's the hair. Yeah. it's That might be, maybe it is the hair. Yeah, it might, it might be what it is. Um, but when John Hurt came in and played the war doctor, he was 76 years old, I think. Wow. Yeah. Gotta love him. Yeah, so by like 20 years, yeah. he, was, he was older than everybody yeah. else. <laughs> Wonder if they'll ever beat that. 
He found out he got the part while filming another movie. <laughs> he actually missed a call from his agent, and when he returned it, they answered with, Hello, doctor. <laughs> That's amazing. Nice. Yeah. Could you imagine finding out you're yeah, a doctor? Yeah, that'd, so, that'd be so cool. Like, wait, what? <laughs> Did you call the right number? Yeah. I'm not like a doctor. I'm, exactly. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> All right. So he was able to bring some rock star energy to the part <laughs> by playing his guitar and wearing those, you know, sonic sunglasses <laughs> that everybody loves. <laughs> yeah. He was kind of a rock star. He was like a grumpy old man, but also yeah. a rock star. It was like he was William Hartnell with the grumpy old man kind of energy, uh, yep. but yet he also rocked. Like, there was this... <laughs> he was definitely different. I like that. Yeah. I think Peter Capaldi, too, he was actually in a band with um, yeah. with Craig Ferguson. Nice. A, a real-life rock star. Yeah. yeah. So... That's how he brought the rock on. It's pretty cool, yeah. I love. I loved <laughs> it when he played the guitar, because it was something different, something new. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And he... There was something about him that made him, like, wise... You know, mm-hmm. I know that like we see old person, an old person, and we think they're wise. Fifth, I want to say fifty-five is not old. No. I don't consider that to be old. Nope. But so his companions were Clara Oswald, of course, because she went over into his um, storyline, and then Bill Potts as well. Yeah, yeah. Bill. Oh, Bill. Yeah. Yep. Bill. She she is a young, charismatic character that challenges the Doctor in his old ways and forces him to think differently in situations. And she was the first openly gay companion on the show. She's very young and has a curious mind. She's cool and a great pairing with the older rock and roll style of Peter Capaldi. Yeah. So, Bill is like a perfect a perfect pairing for him. She's she represents like the new cool and he's the old cool, <laughs> and then together you know and she yeah she's I, she's really good at reacting she's kind of reacting to the world and all these new stuff and she's really interesting that way, and I like that about Bill she's very lovable it's really easy to love her mm-hmm. she's so happy and nice and kind to everybody and so yeah she's a good character and band posters and movie bedrooms podcast responded to us on Twitter and told mm-hmm. us that Peter Capaldi was their favorite doctor. They said he was their favorite new who. So that's how they how they phrased it, which <laughs> yes. is pretty good. Yeah, but you know, even though they enjoy Peter Davison, and we did actually mention them in last week's episode when we talked about Peter Davison, but they said that of the new who, Peter Capaldi is their favorite. Very nice. Good choice. Yeah. So after Peter Capaldi, we have Jodie Whittaker. We don't have a whole lot of stuff to say about Jodie Whittaker. No. Yet. She has only been the doctor for one season. Mm-hmm. And she is the first female doctor. She's officially the first female doctor mm-hmm. in canon. And the idea to cross-gender a trans- the transformation and make a female doctor is not a brand new concept to the show. Mm-mm. There's an episode in 2015 where a male Time Lord regenerates into a female Time Lord. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, the Master becomes Missy mm-hmm. in the show. So it is not... That it was not a foreign concept, and honestly, it hadn't been a foreign concept for a long time. Tom Baker even said in the 1980s that he thought the person who succeeded him would be a woman. He was not right, not correct about that, but you know, he still thought it might happen, and it, there was speculation. <coughs> and obviously, like we said last week too, Cindy, Sydney Newman, the original showrunner, also thought that it was time a long time mm-hmm. ago for there to be a female Time Lord. So it's not necessarily. A brand new gimmicky thing. Though, what happened was Stephen Moffat 
left the show. He's no longer the showrunner. And uh, it was handed over to Chris Chibnall, who wrote Broadchurch. And he was afraid to tell everybody right away that they wanted a female doctor because he didn't want to be too gimmicky. What he did was he just kind of kept it under wraps that, you know, they were really, really hoping for a female 13th doctor. And their number one choice was Jodie Whittaker because she had been on Broadchurch and Broadchurch was his, like... If you have never seen Broadchurch, you need to see Broadchurch. Yeah, watch it. <laughs> because he worked with her so well in Broadchurch and he knew her, she was his number one choice for the 13th Doctor. And he felt like she really blew it away. Blew it out of the water. Hold on there, please, madam. I need you to do as I say. This could be a potential crime Why are you calling me, madam? Because you're a woman. Am I? Does it suit me? What? Oh, yeah. I remember. Sorry. Half an hour ago, I was a white-haired Scotsman. It seems like she's been received pretty well. Yeah. Critically, people seem to like her as Not the doctor. Bad. Yeah. 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 Uh, her companions are Ryan, Yasmin, and Graham. Maybe one day we'll do an update episode and we can yes. talk about how we feel about Jodie Whittaker as yeah. the doctor. Okay. So now that we've talked about all the doctors in the new series, we've talked about you know all the companions in the new series, and we, we wish we could talk more about them, and maybe we will someday, yeah. but not right now. Yes. So what we want to do is we're going to talk really quickly about the memorable monsters in the show. Mm-hmm. Now, I really, I want, I, I just want to say that when we talk about these monsters, we are going to talk about ones that are either in just the new show or we're in both the old show and the new show to help, to help us compare the two. However, we're not going to talk about monsters that were just in the old show, like the Candyman, mm-hmm. for example. Very, very weird, random, one-off <laughs> monsters that we're not going to discuss. Also, I want to make it very clear that, you know, monster is the term that BBC uses to describe these characters. The dictionary defines monster as an animal or plant of abnormal form or structure, one who deviates from normal or acceptable behavior. It just means that, you know... You might be scared of it. You might be scared of it when you see it. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to do anything to you. And I just don't want anyone to have any certain connotations with the word monster when we use it. We don't necessarily mean that these characters are beyond hope or that they don't deserve compassion. Mm-hmm. Let's start with the Daleks, guys. Right. So the first monsters that we'll talk about, the first antagonists that we will talk about from the show, is the first ever antagonist of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. The first thing that ever was any kind of enemy of the Doctor in any way mm-hmm. was the Dalek. Daleks were created by Terry Nation when he wrote the second Doctor Who serial. It was called Static Shock, and his companions first meet the Daleks on Scarrow, which mm. is their which is their home planet. The Daleks were radiation victims and were encased in metal machinery equipped with weapons used for wiping out any race besides their own, and ran on static electricity, which is different in the new show. They do not run on static electricity. Didn't they um, get like a re? In the show, they kind of had like a quote unquote like a rebirth. Like it's like, yes. oh, now this is the pure Dalek now. Yeah, mm. yeah they've had they've had so many pure dial- Daleks. Uh-huh. Yeah, Sidney Newman wanted to avoid what he what he called bug eyed monsters, and we actually did talk about this last week. Yes, we did. Yeah, so you know these, he was angry about these. He was worried about it, but it turned out that it turned that it was going to be okay because these monsters had a little more layers to them. They weren't just random sci-fi monsters. Because they were deeper, they were deeper than they seemed. They were inspired by Nazis. The Daleks were pitiful and tortured. They were small-minded and deadly. Their appearance in the show helped to get renewed for more episodes. The Daleks were a hit. 
Everyone loves a good villain. Yes. Mm-hmm. It is a very good villain. Yeah. The Daleks return several times throughout the series, including an episode with Tom Baker and Sarah Jane Smith. They meet Davros, the creator of the Dalek race. There was a nuclear war happening between the Thals and the Khalids. Davros decided he wanted to quicken the mutation of his race and place them inside a machine of his own creation. So if anyone was wondering where the Daleks came from, that's where they came from. They're radiation victims. They got placed in essentially like these, it's like smart cars, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Imagine if we, yeah, and then that's just how they move around and how they yeah. talk and they don't have to eat and they don't have to, they're just this, you know, they're considered, and all of their, they're genetically mutated to no longer have any kind of emotions mm-hmm. and they're just meant to, they just want to kill anything that's yep. not them. Oh, I'm sorry. They're, they have one emotion, which is hatred. Right. Yeah. The only one you need, obviously. Right, mm-hmm. which is what makes them so dangerous. <laughs> so after the Daleks, we have the second most notorious villain in Doctor Who history. Probably one of the scariest, too. I think I hate this one yeah, most. this one's bad. Mm-hmm. Cybermen. They were created by Dr. Kit Pedler and Jerry Davis. First appearing at the end of William Hartnell's timeline, showrunners were hoping to find similar success to the Daleks. And Cybermen are humans from Earth's twin planet, Mondas. And as the planet began to drift into space, the race began to experiment with cybernetics in order to survive. The Cybermen were born from the fear that humans were becoming too reliant on machines. Which is ridiculous because they're becoming more reliant on machines. Yeah. Right, right. So this was this was a common fear in the time period when this show was when the show was coming out. And so they wanted to create monsters or antagonists that would emulate the things that people were afraid of. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Daleks, obviously, you know, Hitler, Nazis, mm-hmm. that stuff. That stuff had been, had been had gone and done at that point. It was the 1960s, but it was still something everybody could relate to. And also radiation poisoning. You know, it was the Cold War was kind of happening and people were afraid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brought their fears to life. Mm-hmm. And Cybermen are updated every time they appear in the show with the latest technology. Right. So that makes it even scarier. Yeah, the newest, the ones that were in the new series, like the first time they had Bluetooth. It was like people were walking around with Bluetooth. <laughs> and then they, be, right? And then yes, they like implant I remember them in there. that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. And then they used those Bluetooths to get them to line up <laughs> to go into the... You know, for upgrading to upgrade yeah you will be upgraded yeah yeah very similar to the daleks um you will be exterminate or exterminate or you will be exterminated and you will be upgraded they oh. they say if you do not upgrade you will be deleted yeah that's right but you need not fail cybermen will remove fear cybermen will remove sex and class and color and creed Yep. So after that, we have the nesting consciousness, which we mentioned already because that was in the first episode of the new show and was pretty, it was a kind of a prominent part of the old show. But this is basically, you know, when you see those shop dummies come to life, that's what this is. The nesting consciousness was created by Robert Holmes. It's a disembodied life form able to take control of specially manufactured plastics. It's a hive species. Could be anything in this room. Yes. Anything that's plastic. Yeah. Oh, God. And it's 
you know, the little plastic, like, like the little plastic mannequins are not necessarily like each individually is one a, a creature, at least not in the beginning. Over mm-hmm. time, I think t- things kind of evolve and change. But it's they're like more like avatars for the nesting consciousness to carry out what it wants to do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The plastic includes the autons, humanoid creatures with deadly weapons in their hands, and they can masquerade as mannequins. So they act like mannequins, they look like mannequins, but then their hand falls open and they shoot you. Wrist missiles. <laughs> <laughs> autons have the ability to look human, as later in the series... With the 11th Doctor, they were able to disguise themselves as Roman soldiers without the Doctor recognizing them. Their first appearance was in the first serial of the seventh season of Doctor Who called Spearhead from Space. This episode was the first to be in color, filmed on location, introduces John Pertwee as the Doctor, is the first appearance of the Master, and also includes Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart from Unit, who is often referred to in the reboot. That... So much it's in a, that one episode. It's a very or important episode. Serial, serial <laughs> episode, yeah. <laughs> it, was very, it was a very important episode. Yeah, yeah, a lot to it. So then next we have the Sontarans. Yeah, Sontarans. They were also created by Robert Holmes, and they are a warrior race characterized by their fearlessness. The man who played the first Sontaran, named Lynx... Mm-hmm. Pronounce the name Sontaran, even though it was supposed to be Son Sontaran. Yeah, so he pronounced it Sontaran, like we are. Okay, and it was supposed to be Sontaran. Oh, Sontaran. Mm-hmm. Ah. Interesting. Okay. Well, it doesn't sound as cool. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I agree. I like. So- okay. He reportedly declared that since he was from the place, he knew the right way to pronounce it. <laughs> yep. There, there you go. go. That, I mean, that's all you got to do. He's like, right? it's me. I'm the character. I know. I know how to pronounce it. So. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. They play prominent roles in both series series, and they have an egg shaped head covered by a helmet. Yeah, they're mo- for the most part just seen in their armor. Yeah. So then we have a um, a, a monster that is really interesting it was meant to be a one-off monster but then it was pulled back later on in the new series and so we'll talk about that next week but they're Mm -hmm. called zygons zygons are metamorphic humanoid characters that were from zygor but they seem to not want to stay at zygor (laughs) (laughs) when when in their true form they are an orangey brown color and are covered in suckers and have a cone-shaped head uh where the heck are these (laughs) <laughs> what episode are these guys from? They're in the 50th anniversary special. Are they? And they show up later on. Yes. Huh. They they're they're kind of like shapeshifters. Yeah. Interesting. Technically. I don't yeah. remember. Yeah. So, uh what they do is they will take they'll take a part of you and or not take a part of you. They'll take you and they have to keep you alive to maintain the copy of who you are. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then they basically masquerade masquerade as you. Wow. While you're like kind of hold up somewhere mm-hmm. in like a weird like mm-hmm. liquidy sack or something. So yeah. You two could be Zygons right now. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Oh, yes. Gosh. Anyone could be a Zygon. Mm-hmm. I'm a Zygon. <laughs> and I, I think in one of the episodes they play around with converting people into Zygons as well. Ooh. Right. Uh, so next we have the Great Intelligence. Ooh. <laughs> So it has no physical form, so it's seen as a parasite, mostly. Its main goal is to obtain a tangible body, hmm. and throughout the episodes, it's inhabited 
different forms, like snow, a Buddhist monk, um, robot yetis, and London fog. Is the Great Intelligence the, is that the villain in the snowmen? Yes. Yes, I thought. So after the Great Intelligence, we have one of the most notorious villains of the entire show. Oh, yeah. The only other Time Lord in existence until until later on in the show obviously spoilers the master the master is a recurring character known as the doctor's arch enemy and is revealed to be the only other survivor of the last great time war he is okay with watching the world burn for fun he's terrible yeah he's the master is bad news Mm -hmm. yeah he's for sure the complete opposite of the doctor yes awful he first teamed up with the autons he regenerates into missy which paves the way which paved the way for the ability to regenerate peter capaldi and jody whittaker also the master is basically he's like the doctor's only like friend yeah it's it's a very complicated relationship the doctor does care about the master and uh, they are friends right he really really wants him to you know stop killing people mm-hmm but you know they really have this. I love their relationship. They have a really, it's a really interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't want to. He does. You know. You don't want to kill the master to stop him killing other people because he's the only other time lord. You know. Exactly. You right. can't just. He's the only one that's like him. Yeah. Yeah. So after that, we just have monsters that are just in the new in the new series and. Uh, we're just going to briefly go over some of these. So we did a poll on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to ask folk. people. Yeah. To ask people who their favorite monsters were from Doctor Who. Basically, if you're not following us on Twitter, you're missing out. Yeah. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. we we always want to hear from people on Twitter. Yes. If you can't tell, we use Twitter a lot. So we did a poll on Twitter to find out people's favorite monsters it was the daleks cybermen weeping angels or zygons those were the four choices that we gave and the winner of that poll was the weeping angels which i'm actually kind of surprised really i am a little bit i thought it'd be like daleks you know something more classic and the weeping angels but the weeping angels were a brand new monster introduced in the new series in season three in an episode called Blink. And this was an episode that had a groundbreaking format. It was totally different from any other episode. They were experimenting with like a non-linear approach. And it worked wonderfully. And a lot of people consider it to be one of the best shows in the entire show. Entire series. I'm sorry. One of the best episodes in the entire series. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And I think one reason why people might think that this might be drawn to the Weeping Angels over something like the Daleks as their favorite monster or maybe as the scariest thing is because of how immediately scary they are. Yeah. Over a Dalek, you know, a Dalek is like, you know, you, you know, the doctor at least can talk to it and like the, they're kind of afraid of the doctor at the same time. And like, you know, there's all these things about them, whereas the weeping angels are just there. Mm-hmm. And if you're not looking, you're dead. Like the, that's all there is to yeah, it. Yeah. The weeping angels, prey on more of like a primal fear yeah something getting you when you're not looking Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on twitter our friends at bang average movie podcast told us that they had a hard time sleeping after the first time they watched the episode (laughs) you know it makes sense because it's something we see daily we see statues everywhere so i think one of the reasons that people connect to it as a monster is because like 
you can relate it to our world. It's like on, right. on you know, everywhere pretty much. Yeah. So I think that's one of the most interesting things about it. And the Weeping Angels are quantum locked, meaning they only exist when they're not being observed. Mm-hmm. Which is a crazy, Ooh. crazy idea. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. very, very interesting idea. And I, I, it was really, really good. Yeah, people have been like, I can't name any, but there are games or mechanics used in games that are completely based off the Weeping Angels, where if you're not looking at them, Mm -hmm. that's when they come at you. But if you look at them, they're frozen. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know. Yeah. Man. So next we have is the adipose. <laughs> These creatures are very interesting. You kind of have this conflict because they're kind of cute looking. Right. But they are creatures consisting completely of fat with their children that, that appear as almost these cute marshmallow characters. Oh my god. And they are created by using a weight loss pill that converts, in this case, humans into these children of adipose. I... They are so cute. They're like these, they're little fat monsters. And I don't know why they're the most adorable thing ever. They're like, they are. They're just so cute. They, they kind of look like the Pillsbury Doughboy. Yeah. Yeah. They're just like, they got like this one tooth or whatever. And they're just like waddling around. Like, oh, I can't. And it's like, you're like, you can't blame them. It's not their fault. They're like, they're so, so cute. Yeah. So they're evil. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so that's a pretty interesting episode with the adipose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. After that, we have the Vashta Narada. I would say this is like a very primal thing too, because mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, this is like a monster that that exists in the shadows, it lurks in the shadows, and they're the piranhas of the air. And generally, the Vashta Narada are harmless when they're by themselves or when they're in low numbers, but when they're in high numbers. And they're ravenous. They will just eat the flesh off of your body. Down to the bone. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. That is a terrifying concept. So count your shadows, folks. Yes. If you ever notice that you have two shadows. Well, by then you're already screwed. Yeah, yeah. that's true. If you notice that you have two shadows. <laughs> so maybe there. watch for people around you to have two uh, shadows. Yeah, right. And then run. And then run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So uh, the Vashta Narada actually exist in like woods and forests and stuff like that, and they're generally not a threat to people. But in one very particular case, they are a threat yes. to mm-hmm. people, and we'll talk about that some other time. But after that, we have the silence. So we, on Twitter, um, we think band posters and movie bedrooms commented a gif of these monsters, but every time we looked away, we couldn't remember. We just strangely had tally marks on our arms, so, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, these yeah. were meant to be the scariest villains yet, and their appearance was slightly based on The Scream by yeah. Edward Oh, I can't see that. Yeah, kind of a mix of that and, like, Slenderman. Right. Which I think came after, but yeah, kind of that wearing a nice suit. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. humanoid with these alien heads, really. It's kind of yep. like what they look mm-hmm. like with the, yeah, the, the long, thin suit and... Um, yeah. And uh, the one thing that you need to know about the silence is that the moment you look away from them, you've forgotten that you've seen them. Mm-hmm. And it, so it's kind of a similar concept to the Weeping Angels. 
So what will happen is that you'll walk into a room, they'll show us from the character's perspective what's happening, and a character will walk into the room, and then they'll just look down at their arm, and suddenly they'll have marks on their arms. And what happened was, when they saw the silence, they were marking their arms, and then they forgot that they saw the silence, because mm-hmm. they looked away from it, and now they're looking down, and they see, ah, oh, shit, it's here. I know <laughs> it's here. Yeah. And how many are there? Oh, yes. <laughs> that's how many. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of almost like the opposite. Well, not I, I don't know if it's the opposite of the Weeping Angels. I'm trying to describe it where, you know, you you can look at them and they're still moving right. around. But then you look away. Seeing and them. I mean, it's, it's a similar concept where if you see them, you're safe, essentially. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's it, it is kind of tough, though, because like the silence will still kill you if you see them. Right, they can still move and get yeah. you. The, yeah, the weeping angels will stop if you're looking at them. Yeah. yeah. So if you ever run into a weeping angel, if you if you are just looking at it, I mean, you're stuck there forever, but it won't get you because you're looking at it. Right. Until the lights go out or something like that. Yeah. But then sure. the silence, if it's you see it, that. oh boy, you're just, no. Yeah. Which, the silence is a religious order, and in the show they attempt to make the doctor's death in season six a fixed point in history making it meaning that it can't yeah. be altered mm-hmm. so guys thank you so much for listening yes thank you we talked a lot this episode there was a lot that went into this one there was a lot of research <sighs> yes and time and pain but we are done with this part of the episode this is only <laughs> part two yeah so join us again next week for part three yeah we're gonna talk a little bit more about these monsters we're gonna go into into depth we're gonna talk about our favorite episodes episodes that were influential to the show talk about plot lines characters that we like it's gonna be a little bit more fun a little less research heavy we Yay. hope you join us please come back yes please